from today's gospel passage. Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who if your child asks for a fish will give a snake instead of a fish? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It occurs to me on those very rare occasions when I am composing a sermon at the last minute (laughs) that one reason I wait that long to write it is so that I won't be as disappointed if it turns out terrible. Well, you know, that one didn't go over so well, but at least I didn't spend all week on it. It's like many things in life. If you commit to something with all you've got and it doesn't work out, it breaks your heart. Conversely, a minimal commitment allows you to have diminished expectations. So there's not as much at stake and it doesn't hurt so much if it tanks. Anyway, we all know that most of the time my preaching turns out great. So. This is how it can be with prayer. We don't always commit to it fully so that we're not disappointed if our prayers go unanswered. We are often so afraid to go all out with God and demand the miracle we truly long to receive because to make such requests is to risk not getting them. It is to risk disillusion. It is to put our faith on the line we have drawn in the sand and then demand that God show up, cross that line, and answer our prayers. For that reason, I am not too fond of this passage from Luke. Because Jesus makes outlandish promises about prayer that almost guarantee disappointment. Just ask and you will receive. No, really, he says, simply search and you'll find it. All you've got to do is knock and knock and the door will swing wide open. Honest. How could God not give you the good gifts you ask for? Well... (laughs) Our experience tells us that this is not always how it works. And if we let ourselves believe these promises Jesus makes, we will probably get burned. I dislike this passage because the commitment it asks of us is not minimal. In this reading, those words asking, searching, and knocking in their original Greek forms are called present tense imperatives, which means the action is continual. So our request, our prayer to God, may take years of asking, searching, knocking, with no expectation of being fulfilled except these brazen assurances of Jesus. And so the stakes are high when it comes to prayer. And there is a good chance that everyone will get hurt and that things will not turn out okay. I've talked about this before from the pulpit, but again, I want to confess that even after more than nine years of being ordained, I still live with some doubt about who God is. And we who doubt, frankly, prefer ambiguity in our biblical texts, because that gives us some wiggle room to tease out interpretations that 
we can then swallow down more easily our skeptical gullets are sated. But what we doubters don't like is the certainty inherent in an if-then statement. If you knock, then the door will be opened. Such claims about prayer require us doubters to take a stand to say yes or no to such outlandish promises. Today's gospel passage invites us to pray as if we will always receive an answer. It encourages us to commit, to expect, and to wholeheartedly cast off all doubts. And where is the safety in that? Now, doubt is something of a modern affliction, at least in the sheer number of people it affects. You've probably heard of the group nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who don't have any religious belief. The latest statistic I saw says that 23.1% of Americans fall into this category. That's one quarter of the country. When Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, that was definitely not the case. They were big-time believers. And the crowds that came to hear Jesus welcomed the assurance that God would answer their prayers. They needed to believe that their voice was heard by a force greater than themselves or their Roman rulers. For the Jews of Palestine in Jesus' time, belief in God was part of their culture, just as allegiance to Caesar was central to Roman identity. So I imagine that as those crowds traveled home in the heat and dust, after a day of listening to Jesus preaching, their spirits were soothed by the certainty that God would answer their prayers. Today, of course, we're supposedly smart enough to know that we can't always get what we want. A number of years ago, I was in New York City visiting two old college friends and their respective spouses. David and his wife Susan came down from Boston, and we all stayed with Sabrina and her husband, Louis, on the Upper West Side. Both couples had tried for years to have their own baby, and they were now going through the arduous process of adopting one from another country. So I knew that there would be talk and bonding around that topic. But only a month before our reunion, Sabrina in New York found out she was pregnant. It was a total surprise as she and Louis were one week away from traveling to Ethiopia to start the next phase of their adoption process. When David and Susan arrived from Boston and heard the good news, they congratulated Sabrina and Louis profusely. They insisted they were fine with the happy news, and it didn't upset them in the least. They urged us not to feel any awkwardness around it. But there was no talk of babies or adoptions that weekend. Instead, on that Saturday afternoon, as David, Susan, and I were walking along 18th Street towards 6th Avenue, Susan began shouting at David. She had been rubbing her temples for some time as if she had a headache. When I asked her if she was okay or, or needed anything, she stopped, looked directly at David, and said, Yes, I do need something. I need to walk alone for a while, and I need you to stay away from me. When he began to protest and ask what was wrong, Susan screamed, David, stay right where you are. Do not move one step closer to me. 
Leave me alone. I need to be alone. Please, I beg you, don't move. And she turned and walked away at a fast pace. David and I stood frozen in place among the passing strangers until he threw his hands up in the air, exasperated. He said, no one is meaner or crueler to Susie than Susie herself. She just blames herself for everything. And then he started walking behind her, far back enough that she had some space, but close enough to not lose sight of her. Had God answered Susan's prayers for a baby and the answer was no? Should she have knocked just a little bit longer, like the persistent neighbor in today's reading who pesters his friend at midnight until he finally relents and gives him food? Or would her answered prayer be an adopted baby who would need her love as much as she needed to love herself? I didn't know. But we who sometimes doubt have enough respect for God's work that we don't presume to know. But I will say this. David continued to love Susan, to give her the space she needed, and to never lose sight of her. And I guess those are the three things that we who doubt and we who believe pray that God will give us. Love, space, and presence. As I said, I don't like this passage from Luke, but I preach on it because I want to believe that it's true. And once again, I thought that if I could just parse the deeper meaning in the text, I would unearth that nugget of truth for all of us, for our faith life, for our prayer life, that one bit of incontrovertible evidence to prove that prayers are answered for doubters and believers alike. But maybe... Maybe we are just going to have to commit ourselves a little more to God, to trust that the miraculous is possible, and to run the risk of being hurt, of things not turning out okay. And maybe somehow, even our unanswered prayers will give birth to trust and to faith. A few years ago, I visited a parishioner from Long Beach who had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. She told me she'd been crying and praying all morning. I know, she said, that I shouldn't be asking for the miracle. I know that's not how it works, that God's will be done is what I should ask to receive. So I'm trying not to go there. I thought about it a moment and, and then responded, no, why not ask for it? Why not demand it? Ask to be completely healed even at the risk of your prayer not being answered, and then get pissed off at God if it doesn't come true. I told her, you're smart enough to know when it's time to stop making demands for the miraculous and start praying for peacefulness instead. Why not begin with the miracle? I wasn't sure this was the right thing to say. But I think we let God off the hook too easily sometimes. I think it's okay to even be disappointed with God once in a while, if I can put it that way. Because that's what a true relationship is. Demands and disappointments mixed with longings and answered prayers. 
And there's something I finally learned after all these years of prayer. There is a difference between being cured and being made whole. There's a difference between being made well and being healed. The answer to your prayers may not be a cure or wellness, but with the grace and love of God to guide you, your prayers may bring you to wholeness and to a deeper healing. There is a Hungarian proverb I came across online late one night while working on a sermon. It said, a believer is happy, a doubter is wise. That may be true in an ideal world where believers and doubters both get what they expect and commit to. But for those of us who live in the real world of unhappy doubt and foolish belief, we pray.